Did you feel a panic creep in when you heard that sound? Did you rush to make sure your camera was off and that you didn't have anything embarrassing hanging behind you? For those fortunate enough to be able to work from home, the awkward, uh, Lauren, you're muted, and the sound of a flush in the background has become all too familiar. I know I'm always trying to keep my coffee cups and fuzzy pajamas out of the frame. While COVID has upturned the modern workplace, the current landscape is about so much more than just the pandemic. But what it has done is shine light on how people from different generations, backgrounds, incomes, and industries have very different viewpoints on work and how it fits into our lives. I'm Lauren Berry, and this is It's Generational. This week, we're tackling issues surrounding the workplace with a panel that includes baby boomer journalist John Evans, Gen Xer podcast host Virginia Heffernan, millennial writer Kendra Austin, and Gen Z activist Michelle Chubb. We also got a chance to chat with Joyce Trammell, executive consultant for the Kaleidoscope Group based in Chicago. The company's mission is rooted in diversity, equity, and inclusion solutions for the workplace. John Evans retired recently from Odyssey's KCBS radio in San Francisco after working in broadcasting for decades. We started our roundtable by asking John what's changed in the workplace over the course of his career. When I got into the business, there were only men. So the biggest change for me was when I came to San Francisco in 1979, I took my first job, my first three bosses were women. And what was great for me is that they became my biggest mentors and biggest teachers. And to this day, I find that I've watched the newsroom completely change. First of all, it changed from having just white men to white men and white women. And then fast forward to today where it's, you know, it's the melting pot that it should have always been. Uh, So with that has come a lot of growing pains for a lot of people, especially generationally. But also workplace issues have just in and of themselves become problematic. It's very troubling to me that people expected to do five different jobs when it used to be five different people doing those jobs. Now one person has to do them all. And to complain means to get fired or to be told, well, if you don't like to go somewhere else and it's no better somewhere else. I know younger people might be more adept at doing five different things at the same time. I mean, you're, 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 let's just say you're a radio reporter. Now you're expected to do a video and to blog and to fill out your website and to do this and do that. I don't know how in the world people are getting all that work done today because you know I'm a pretty smart guy and I've been doing this a long time. I would not have the bandwidth to do five different jobs in one, di- in one single day. Our Gen Xer Virginia then recounted the adversity she faced while progressing in her journalism career, where your role in the office determines whether or not you're on coffee duty. I went to work for a year at a, at a VC firm um, after working in journalism for a long time. I just needed finally to make some actual money. And I worked with a lot of millennials for the first time. And four of them in particular became very, very close friends. Like we've kept a, a group chat since then. And pretty early on when I came in, I had a, like a pretty big title. I came into the office and one of my colleagues who actually had a higher title than mine, but was much younger, said, do you kind of expect someone to bring you a cup of coffee? And I was like, actually, yes. I mean, I came up as an assistant and a fact checker calling the people I work for, Mr. And I, with the understanding that sometime I would have, I would, that would happen to me. Right. And even though I knew it wasn't coming any day soon, 
I sort of somehow had decided when I went into places that I would be doing that. And millennials did not think that. So this idea that millennials are somehow entitled, millennials who never, I, I'm imagining, Michelle, I'm not totally sure, but Kendra, you're your own boss. I imagine that you did not come up thinking you would have an executive assistant and a personal assistant. And I just want to, let's hear it for millennials. Yeah. And I think, I think those visible, those extremely visible signs of hierarchy have never been that people of authority or in leadership positions in corporate can't do them. This is Kendra Austin, our freelancing millennial. I think a lot of that was just like an inherent way to signal that white men are there. And now that it's not just old white men that hold those titles, those people are not comfortable with having that done for them and they can let their work speak for themselves. And um, having a secretary do it just isn't enough. Yeah. I, I think there's some connection there between that kind of like class and hierarchy signaling um, and the, the fall of that now that other people of other identities are capable of showing up for those same things and like would have traditionally been in those positions of servitude. Speaking of service, in addition to being a journalist, I had a nearly 10-year career in the restaurant industry. For years, I would actually rush out of the newsroom and put my apron on in the car before serving sushi all evening. Often, my older customers would ask what I was doing next. Although I did have my journalism ambitions, it would make me sort of sad because some of the most talented, interesting people I've ever met were servers and they didn't plan on doing anything else. Service is hard, and I think it's unfair that it hasn't been traditionally as respected as other work. But the way people see work is changing. Our workplace expert, Joyce Trammell from Kaleidoscope Consulting, explained that today we see... A lot of folks are staying in the workforce a bit longer. So I would say right now it's probably at close to six generations that are working together. Uh, the biggest challenge that we see at Kaleidoscope in terms of... Um, and I'm not going to say it's conflict, but it's in terms of just common understanding as to the benefits... Uh, that each generation brings and the value that each generation brings. I think sometimes there is a uh, misnomer that there's only one way to do things. And sometimes there's a lack of openness and willingness to do things differently or to try something that perhaps hasn't been done before. So I would say that's a big challenge. It's really in terms of appreciating and leveraging the value of each of the generations. I would say secondly, it's in terms of just making sure that everyone feels inclusive or included in an organization. So if you think about, you know, the work styles, the work preferences of generations could be very different. Um, philosophies and values could be very different. And it's unrealistic for any organization to think that, you know, folks are going to check their values at the door. So how do you create the space where you're still honoring the mission, vision, values of an organization, but creating an inclusive work environment for all the generations that you have working. So I would say those two um, are probably the biggest things that we see is the, the value piece of it and then just uh, creating a culture of inclusion. When you're in the weeds trying to get a story in on deadline or trying to get plates to tables at other sides of a restaurant, it can seem hard to even make time to think of your coworkers' perspectives, but it's worth it. I completely understand why millennials have been marked with this like title of crybaby. And I know Gen Z has it even worse. And, you know, I don't think that's such a bad thing. I just don't. I think that we have gotten to a place where we were tired of having to leave our humanity at home for the sake of working a job. And again, working a job 
to what end because the things that were once guaranteed for a generation are not guaranteed for us anymore. And I have a very, very hard time with knowing things and not acting on that knowing. And I've been that way since I was really young. And frankly, I've also had a really hard time with authority other than my own. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean rules because I abide by rules, right? It's more that as a creative in specific, I knew that those authorities were not um, shepherding me in a direction in which my own voice and the stories that I like to tell, which are about my identities, would be not bastardized. And I think the pandemic really spotlighted a lot of this. Uh, just because of how folks had to redefine what normal was for themselves and their households. And then also, how does that then come into the workplace in terms of creating that um, flexibility um, that's needed? Because we all will need flexibility at one point in time in our life. And so when I think about the, the work-life integration piece, I think a lot of it has to do um, in terms of just the values of what we value and the season that a person might be in their life. And then not necessarily thinking that um, giving people grace and the benefit of the doubt in some instances. Giving people grace. I've been thinking about that advice somewhat constantly since I spoke with Joyce. Thinking in those terms can really help. Wouldn't we all like a bit of grace? While the new virtual and hybrid work models might be overwhelming to people used to traditional work situations, Joyce explained how these new approaches to work can actually help us extend this grace to each other. And, you know, there, there's benefit of being in person. There's also benefit of um, of being virtual when you can and when it makes sense. If you think about the commute times of a lot of individuals, the fact that you are now able to not necessarily have an hour commute each way, which is two hours of your day that could, let, could be used for something um, more productive, whether it's self-care or whether it's getting um, additional work done for an organization. So I definitely think the, um, let's just say the hybrid uh, seems to be what most organizations are going to by way of two to three days in an office setting. But, you know, whenever we're advising organizations, we always have to remind folks that culture is not a building. So you can have everyone in a building, but it doesn't mean that the culture and that the employee experience is going to be the same for everyone. So let's just kind of, you know, part that to the side in terms of, oh, you know, it's it's all about the culture with having people in five days a week. Uh, that's not the case. And there's a lot of data. If folks are, were to take an honest look at engagement survey data, they would likely find some things in terms of, yeah, you know, has the engagement gone up or down? And if so, what are the factors that are driving the engagement? So it's all about the connection, the trust and connection that folks have with their leaders, with their peers, with their colleagues that really make the culture of an organization. Virginia, what is your impression of the continued demand for remote work and the continued changing nature of, you know, in office versus remote work. I just, I mean, I, I'm a writer. It makes no sense for me to be like, I can't, I can't concentrate. I can all I ever wanted to do was be at home. I, I like going outside in nature, but it's just not as part of my work. So being at home, I feel like was where all my Gen X, I can't get out of bed side was leaning the whole time. I mean, I do feel like the people I graduated with were quiet 
not quiet quitters, but quiet not workers before they even started. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like even the idea of like I've worked 47 years, just the I mean, and bless you, John, but just the the boomer idea of just working so much like never occurred to me. And I think the braver people around me decided that it was framing everyday workers as consumers and not producers that was the problem. So you know, pushing back on consumer culture is something I feel like I started to do out of college just as a, um, because I couldn't afford anything. Um, but so this hybrid thing looks like I think work should look, which is less work, less work and less work. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a high tolerance for screen time as it sounds like people here do. I know I hear a lot of bad things about it, but I should have given my first fun fact that I've been on the internet since 1979 um, in the age of ARPANET. I went on as a child um, as part of a, a program at Dartmouth College that um, for some kids in town dialed into and you know entered the Thunderdome early. And uh, I feel like I've moved pretty seamlessly in and out of the self-creation and self-invention online. And then the more demanding name, rank, and serial number, you know, kind of real world. Um, and I prefer it here, frankly. It's in a more imaginative world. I, I, I find it easier to make connections. I find myself less crushed by patriarchy um, when there's not like big, loud, <laughs> sharp elbows around, frankly. Um, and, uh, and I like a little disembodied living until I don't, you know, and that's what's great about the hybrid. Excuse me, may I just say all of you were awesome. Uh, I. I'm so glad to hear that people are charting their own path because when I started in radio in 1974, there was only one way to do it. And that was to go to work every day and to be at work every day and to work for corporations and managers and cultures and, you know, and egos. Oh my God, the egos. But one of the things that I will say, and Virginia, what you just said about, you know, loving the detachment, but, you know, getting, you know, having the, being able to make the decision to, attach and then and then disassociate when you when you can't I never had that choice but one of the reasons why I'm glad I didn't is because I'm an introvert and left to my own devices I would have no use for any of you you know I love people but my battery gets depleted very quickly by people and by situations you know larger than four or five people radio has forced me to um, learn how to get along with people and to uh, find ways of coping with all the issues that working in a workplace with all that ego and with managers. And, but what the, th the thing that I love most about the experience of having to go to work and having to be part of a, you know, part of a bigger family is the collaboration. Uh, I don't ever find, I, I feel lost at home. Where are my people? Where is my inspiration? Where do I get my muse from? I'm not, I haven't learned how to be a self-starter. So I'm a little scared, to be honest uh, with you about, you know, th this phase of my life. And it's also because it's the beginning of the end. You know, 65 years old, you know, if I'm lucky, I might live till I'm 80. So, you know, I got to make these last 15 years count. And I can't do it by myself. I have to, I have to engage with people and I have to, I have to be around people and hear ideas and, that's why I'm really honored to be here today because I, I want to hear, um, you know, hearing you talk about 
being your own boss, Kendra. You're awesome. I mean, so I'm so glad to hear that you know what your limits are and what you're willing to put up with. I didn't have that choice. Anyone who has looked for a job over the past decade knows that it can be its own full-time job. You have your resume, but then you have to fill in a glitchy online form with all of the same information. If you get one that's timed, you probably get kicked out right before you attach your cover letter. And the cherry on top, after hours of work, applicants aren't even sure if the job they applied for will help them cover their rent. In fact, the Lending Club reported this fall that 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Eh. So what do you think of salary transparency when you're looking for a job or for work? Right. Uh, Well, I will be transparent and say that I have never worked for anybody but myself and I don't intend to in this lifetime. But within the context of running my own business as a creative and outsourcing my natural gifts and talents, um, and particularly being a queer Black woman doing so, I am so incredibly clear. I've made many TikToks about it. I'm very transparent about it on Instagram, about exactly how much every single brand pays me. Especially I kind of, I feel like now I'm starting to see myself being considered like an elder in the social media space at 28. But I do own it to the extent that like I have been making money off of the internet for about six to seven years now. And I do feel it's my responsibility as I see more and more of Gen Z who my heart goes out to, I love them so much. And they absolutely see through the veil of what was once promised to the generations before us, like things like social security and home ownership and even having an operating earth seem like myths, right? And so now they've kind of started to lean on social media um, and other avenues of expression in order to make money that don't rely on on systems and job applications and um and having to kind of fight through the bureaucracy of corporate and i've done very similarly and because of that i do feel that it's necessary for me to kind of hand down the keys so to speak the piece about pay transparency really translates directly into what we do because we are independent contractors and because we are still getting paid by corporations, right? We're still getting paid by huge businesses that will try as much as possible to continue to like stand on the pay discrepancies between women of color and black women and queer folks and fat creators and creators of all marginalized identities on the internet. They'll continue to try to prop up voices that hold more social currency than mine. I think organizations are being forced to get very creative in terms of you know what's going to be realistic for a given department, a given organization, and individuals, because it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. And given the fact that there is a battle for top talent, there are a lot of organizations who are much more flexible um, in a lot of cases in terms of, hey, you can work wherever. So I really view this as a leadership challenge that organizations are going to have to figure out just by way of how can leaders remain very effective with their groups and with their organization, um, while also doing so in a space that is going to be meeting the demands of not only the business, but the individuals. Creating the environment where people can state what their needs are and do so in such a way where there's no fear of repercussion or the fact that I'm not gonna be considered for promotion or for a stretch assignment. So again, I think a lot of this goes back to trust and connection that leaders and organizations If you want to be successful, you're going to have to start creating um, space for folks to actually lean in, 
to conversation, state what they need, and then vice versa. Because the, the reality is we all come to this world with our own experiences uh, in terms of our backgrounds, uh, the dimensions of diversity, our value systems. Those are all things that are, are very unique to who we are as individuals. Our Gen Z activist, Michelle Chubb, has a vision for the future of work. So I think the top priorities for the workplace is to have more compassion, more humanity from the companies themselves, because I think capitalism from the beginning has been working people to death. The equality altogether is not cool. Like the pyramid scheme from the top is all white men. And then from the bottom, um, it's just scraps of PO, uh, POC. And I think just this generation is starting to open that door up more to include that diversity and that equality that we need in the workforce. And I applaud that for them. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Thanks for listening to It's Generational. We would also like to thank our panel guests, Michelle Chubb, Kendra Austin, Virginia Heffernan, and John Evans for joining us, as well as our expert, Joyce Trammell, executive consultant for the Kaleidoscope Group. Our theme music is by Zapdra. Check out our other episodes featuring this panel covering shifting language and relationship issues. This episode was produced by Sydney Fishman, Mallory Samara, and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.